And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. We don't give enough credit to signs, and we really should. That sign over there tells you great French fries. That sign over there tells you this is your exit. And look at that legendary sign. It's the Motel 6 sign. It tells you a great night's rest at a great price. Book online at motel6.com. And use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Look for the signs. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a great price when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letter CP. Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That's a great deal. And that's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley as we begin Super Tuesday. Gary, good morning. Yeah. I thought we would, you know, throw in the whole Tim Scott thing. Okay. Yeah. All right. That was Monday. It is for him. I know, but. We didn't show up till Tuesday. Okay. We're celebrating, aren't we? We're commenting on it on yeah. uh, Tuesday. Exactly. Uh, here's his announcement yesterday. We cannot have innocent people at risk. Police officers getting ambushed and attacked and seniors locked in their homes from the time the sun goes down until the sun comes up. Joe Biden and the radical left are attacking every single rung of the ladder that helped me climb. And that's why. I'm announcing today that I'm running for president of the United States of America. And you can see that uh, Senator Tim Scott followed the the uh, the uh, red eye the red eye model the red eye model of yeah. of how to announce running for president have a ton of people there uh, have a lot of people behind you. Yep. I did like the and it, and if it's gonna you know be played on the radio, make it sound you know have them cheering loudly. And you've got to be excited. You know, you yes. make the whole thing filled with energy. Yeah. And so uh, I like the sign in the back there, Great Scott. And I was thinking, yeah. hmm, when he finally, if he stays in long enough to challenge Trump, yeah. will he say, make America Great Scott again? <laughs> yeah. I, it's it's interesting because I I uh, I think about the the work that he did campaigning for Herschel Walker in Georgia. And he did a great job. It's too bad that Herschel Walker couldn't have done that kind of work for Herschel Walker. But, you know, that's, I I think, you know, when he was uh, stumping for Herschel Walker, it's it's something we've known about 
uh, Senator Tim Scott for a long time. Um, you know, the left will, we talked about it yesterday, the left uh, wants to demonize, uh, they show how bigoted they are, uh, but they want to demonize and, and go after uh, anybody and everybody on the right, and that includes Tim Scott, someone they call Uncle Tim, and they've done that repeatedly and have done it recently. Mm-hmm. This isn't like from the early 50s. And, you know, you it, all that falls away when you stop and critical thinkers stop and, and listen to someone like Tim Scott and so many other great conservatives, regardless of their skin color. You hear the ideas and the things that he was talking about are very real issues that people are dealing with right now. And, you know, uh, we'll see where it goes. Um, it, it will be interesting to see what the debate stage looks like in August. Uh, Trump is on that debate stage and who else is on that debate stage? Uh, if he's on that. If he's, yeah, exactly. If he's on that debate stage and who else is on that debate stage and, you know, um, the conversations. If Trump's not there, what's interesting is if they have the debate, which, I mean, they're going to, uh, and Trump doesn't show up, you know, I mean, a lot of it will be, well, he's, you know, he didn't he didn't want to show up. He's afraid to debate me, whoever the candidate is that's talking at the time. Uh, but then it's going to be, a lot of it is going to be focused on the issues. Yeah, he is. Tim Scott has an uphill battle. Just some of the things that he said uh, yesterday for those. These are quotes for those of you who wonder if it's possible for a broken kid in a in a uh, in a broken home to rise beyond their circumstances. The answer is yes. I choose personal responsibility over resentment. That was actually a great line. Mm-hmm, that, that's mm-hmm. a that that's a line that someday could make him a president of the United States. Sure. The odds are way against him in this particular uh, uh, election. Uh, I will be the president who destroys the liberal lie that America is an evil country. Uh, He says uh, uh, America uh, is in a Biden retreat. Mm. He says, quote, uh, stop retreating from our own southern border, that he would rebuild a military so lethal and powerful that our adversaries will fear us. And our uh, and our allies will respect us. He called uh, for a quote revolution for excellence in our schools, uh, including quote less CRT and more ABCs. Uh, he uh, talked about the dignity of work and what his mother taught him in work ethic. Quote: If you're able bodied, you work. Period. Mm. Uh, and and again, I mean all. All good things that any conservative can relate to. Uh, I the Wall Street, and I was reading some of the ex, uh, excerpts here from the uh, the, the Wall Street uh, uh, Journal. He also called for a new American sunrise, as they called him. The he is you know starting out the campaign with the they called him the politics of optimism. Yeah, uh, this mm. you know that uh, is that what Republicans want right now? Mm. Look, I. I can't speak for any other Republican uh, or conservative. I can just speak for myself as a conservative libertarian. Uh, I'm past all the, and and maybe it's due to maybe it's due partly to my cynicism over the of doing this over the last thirty four years. I like Tim Scott. Everything comes down to where you stand on the issues, though. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I care about. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on the issues? Mm-hmm. 
and are you electable? That's it. Yep. Yep. And uh, I believe that Tim Scott someday uh, has a has a shot at being president. And yeah. and in this in in this day of identity politics that we live in, where a significant number of independents and Democrats pay attention to skin color. That's just the reality of where we are as a country to see a a Tim Scott. Uh, the the way that the way that he talks about America. And the way look, he doesn't deny the the racist history of uh, of of America. But if you're not going to deny the racist history of America, you have to understand what the biggest organization was that promoted slavery and Jim Crow in America and still is the party that practices racism through identity politics, and that's the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. And and so when you look at you, you look at, for example, you look at Tim Scott, you look at you know Byron Donalds, we talk about him. Oh, I just I can't think of the other representative in in the in in the House right now. It just flew out of my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they have the potential of becoming leaders and a significant, powerful voice within the Republican Party over the next decade. Yeah, I think so. And and so, uh, you know, that's you know what I that's what I'm looking for. But right now, what I care about is where do you stand on the issues? Because everything well, is based yeah. everything is based on the issues. And there will come a point, And this is the thing: how many Republicans will stay in to the point where they will? actually at some point say i need to attack trump Mm, yeah now you've seen it's almost as if we're not we want to stay in this as long as possible so we're not going to attack trump you eventually have to yeah at some point you you, if if, you're still in it at a certain point that means the polls are holding you in it that means uh and it's the case with anyone who is below the leader in the polls in any primary, you're going to have to reach up to the top. You're going to have to, you know, they, the left talked about punching down. In, in American politics during a primary, you have to punch up. Yeah. And and Tim Scott, if he stays in long enough, will have to attack. And Trump was mm-hmm. complimentary of him saying it was a step up from, you know, to sanctimonious, which does that, I, I ask this every time, does that resonate at all? I the I, sanctimonious. I, I mean, it's it's almost. Like I don't the, see it repeated by other individuals, but you know. Well, no, because that would be a Trump. Totally. Yeah, I mean that that. No, I mean, but it, when he gave like oh, you mean others, past, right, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, on social media, all the nicknames yeah. in the past, they you know it would, everybody it would be crooked picked up Hillary, by, yeah, uh, Sleepy Joe. Which, yeah. Now it's Crooked Joe, <laughs> and all that was repeated uh, to no end. And I don't see that one at least being repeated. Yeah, you're right. On me. social media, I really, I, I don't see it from the loyal, loyal, yeah. you know, Trump supporters uh, uh, out there. Mm-hmm. And when he has used it in his own campaign rallies, doesn't resonate. No, no, you don't really. When he no. when he goes after DeSantis, you notice the crowd is pretty quiet. Yeah, and and so uh, I just I sit there and as a political consultant, if I was a political consultant for Trump. I'd say drop it. Well, if I was a political consultant for Trump, I mean, we've been analyzing how he runs a campaign for the longest time, mm-hmm. ran a tremendous campaign mm-hmm. in 2016. 
2015, 2016. Ran a horrible campaign in 2020, Mm -hmm. and I know he's got the lead now, but it's not a great campaign that he's running. I don't care about, I don't care about any host on The View. Well, the leverage that you have, number one, by being the leader where you are and a former president, everybody else on the stage, no, well, nobody else on the stage can say they have experience as a president and he can. Nobody else on the, spa- uh, on the stage can, can say they have experience as a president that had successes as a president and he can. He doesn't get up there and say that. You don't hear him campaigning right. that way. I mean, he had, he had a you know he had uh, true social the other day just pounding. I can't think of her name on the View mm. that used to worry. He's just pounding on her. I'm like nobody mm. cares. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I'll say this. I don't care. Right. I don't care about the View. This is a this is a uh, a a debate that we had with Trump supporters for the longest time. Argue the big issues, yep. not the small stuff. Right. Right. And Trump loves arguing the small stuff. And when we would bring that up, I remember Trump supporters, no, you have to win every battle no matter how small. No, you don't. Well, this is the, you know, this is the the big opportunity where, you know, I don't know for how long <laughs> we've been saying, uh, you know, we're at that crossroads. But honestly, on a number of things, the liberal agenda is no long, longer about the abstract. It's. They're putting it into yeah. effect. They're fighting to put it into schools. They're fighting to get it done. They're fighting uh, that right now our border is open and this administration has clearly organized it, including using the military to speed up the process on the border. I mean, all these, the economy, everybody knows about that, all these things that are beyond broken and so blatant. You know, I really do believe that we're at the crossroads and at some point we've got to make a decision. Now, ask me how much hope I have for turning around the national debt. Maybe that's a totally different <laughs> career of talk shows. Well, but no, it's, no. but still there are things that I think we the conservatives can win, but it requires that and, you know, going after – other personalities is not part of that well when when as you said it though we're this isn't and we've we've spent a lot of time on this this is no longer the politics of the abstract everything that the left is doing now we have felt the consequences of it which is why every single republican should be pounding on the issues every single day especially the insanity of the issues you know there's another thing out there about you know uh, about uh, energy you don't hear any of the candidates talking about the insanity no no of and there's another thing out there that we're going to face blackouts again. Yeah, the insanity of the ener- of of our energy policy, and you can relate to every American saying your electric bills are going up. Right, you know the national grid in uh, New York wants to raise it 17 percent. You know now we're going to face blackouts. This is the insanity. You know this is about running the economy. This is about your home. This is about running your furnaces, your air conditioning. Mm-hmm. They should be pounding on that every day. Right. There's right. nothing from them. Right, and, and there's there's and, no reason we should be on the brink right. every summer of people and and uh, and and states and uh, and governing entities saying, well, we could have blackouts and brownouts this summer because it's summer, right. And and so, uh, you know, when when I see, you know, eventually he's going to have to start talking about Trump's going to have to start. Look, you, you said it. Trump should talk about his successes and talk about the insanity. Look, the insanity exists in in the social issues, 
But the Republicans have been pounding that, and they should continue to pound that. And he pounded that. But you can't ignore the other major issues that are sitting out there that are just as, as insane. And I don't care. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm picking on Trump now. I'll, I pick, I'll pick on everybody. But when, you know, he's talking about, you know, this blasting the woman on The View. Nobody mm-hmm. gives a damn. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Because, look, and, and there are so many things that he could point to, including the Republican Party of the past. Look, I was I was able to come in and lead the Republican Party to getting us to uh, very low corporate taxes, which benefits the American public. The economy was doing great until covid. The economy was doing great. And we can do that again. There's no reason we can't do that again. But he's not campaigning that way. Uh, we'll see now. Now Biden's not campaigning at all. No, he's not. <laughs> it's brought up in a couple of articles this week. Is he ever going to campaign at all? He can't. We'll talk more. Eight six six ninety red eye. When it comes to truck maintenance, sometimes it's the little things that can cause the most trouble, like cabin air filters. When properly serviced, cabin air filters provide a barrier between pollutants and harmful particles outside and your HVAC system. If you don't pay attention to them, however, this small part can turn into big trouble in no time. Breathe easy when you know how often to get your filters replaced. Long-haul drivers should replace their cabin air filters every 50,000 miles or according to the manufacturer's recommendations. If you operate in dusty environments, consider servicing your cabin air filters more often. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Red Eye Radio, 
He's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara. This is really uh, uh, bothersome. This is uh, Biden when he was in Japan, mm. and this this really makes you wonder about his cognitive state. It's really pretty scary when you think about it. But here's Biden again claiming that his son Bo died in Iraq, and mm. he's talking to a bunch of Marines. Yeah. Uh, in Japan, and so it's in a crowd, but I just want to uh, play it here. Here we go. Now my son was a major U.S. Army. Lost him in Iraq. We lost him in Iraq. Now, and, he has, this isn't the first time he has said that. Right, that particular and, uh, lie, gaffe, whatever you want to call it, I have no idea. He's said before. Yeah, this isn't the first time he has said that. He doesn't even know where his son, how his son died. Right. Think about that. Right. Think about and and you and I were talking about the fact that Biden has been a pathological liar his entire his life. entire life. He's lied about everything. Right. And bizarre lies. Yeah, completely and totally bizarre lies. And you take that with his cognitive state. When you take that with George Costanza. <laughs> Jerry, yeah. it's not a lie if, if you believe it. Well, no, I mean, and, you think about it, because you and I have both dealt, and, I, and many people have, have dealt with, with uh, uh, family members who are having cognitive issues. Yes. And, but you also see those moments where they have lucid moments. And they know the truth. They just sometimes aren't fully aware of what's going on, and they forget things. Well, if you're a pathological, lifelong liar who's been telling, and this was the liberal media phrasing, a bizarre set of lies for all of his political career, then if something is misfiring in his brain, then it's just he's going to talk the way he's always talked. I don't know anybody that would, you know, deliberately tell that lie, I have to believe, he just doesn't know. He wasn't aware in that moment. If that's the case, to me, that's the standard that you cannot be the president of the United States. Absolutely. From the Uniden America Studios. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. I want to play this audio cut. This is from a few months back where Biden said the same thing about his uh, son, Bo, who died of cancer. He did not lose his life in Iraq. And Here's Biden saying this a few months ago. Captured key positions and broke through the German defense line at a pivotal point in the war. Just imagine, I mean it sincerely, I say this as a father of a man who won the Broad Star, the Conspicuous Service Medal, and lost his life in Iraq. And he said it again when he was in in, uh, in Japan. Now, I'm not one of those who say, you know, because I, I, there was a survey out yesterday, four in ten people, that probably is a majority of Republicans, believe that Biden should be impeached. Uh, you know, I don't want Biden to be president. 
Uh, and there's and there's a ton of reasons. And if you if you listen every day, or you listen once a week, or you listen once a year, you know why. It's pretty clear. It's 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 pretty clear. Uh, but uh, you know, I I look at you know whether uh, uh, you know if it gets to the point. We'll get to the latest uh, polling, by the way, on whether Americans believe he did something illegally with influence peddling, mm-hmm. and the, the the polling's bad for the president. But until you actually get that smoking gun. Um, I don't believe – I think politically it would be a dumb thing for the Republicans to impeach him. I think it would be dumb to do so. There comes to a point, though, if they find out it's illegal influence peddling, that they actually took a bribe uh, uh, and, 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 you know, and you can prove that it's a quid pro quo – you have no choice at that point. I think you're going but, to have Democrats. I don't know how many, right. but I think you're going to have some Democrats that would push for to, that. To impeach. But right now, you think about when Trump was president and, you know, he'd say some, you know, uh, eclectic things. <laughs> <laughs> like the, and, It was like the late Steve Irwin following over. Ah, he's a big grumpy. Uh, and on Twitter, and remember the Democrats and the media constantly talking yeah. about the Twenty Fifth Amendment, right? Getting him out oh, of office, yeah. constantly, right? Uh, re, you know, remember, well, remember the story, the source story that came out that there was a real conversation about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and then the whole cognitive thing. Mm-hmm. He needs to take a test. He needs to take yeah. a test. I remember. Then he took one. Mm-hmm. It was like oh, he came. He came out fine on it. Right. Biden. I, I mean, this is. A million times worse. Because Biden, either he's yeah. telling on that specific lie. That's not like a, a lie where he's saying, well, my grandfather and I, when I was 15, we used to get up every morning before school and we'd go out and we'd, you know, herd sheep or something that wasn't, you know, provable or disprovable. And it's not the same kind of thing as saying there, you know, inflation isn't bad. Inflation is good. Right. It's not a now, political lie. Right. We we know inflation isn't good. And the mm-hmm. president, remember the president said that was part yeah. of their defense. Right. Inflation is good. Yeah. Well, we know it's people not are good. People spending more money. <laughs> or that, you know, we can run our entire grid on solar and wind. Yeah. Those are, those are lies. We know they're lies, but they're political lies. Uh, and, you know, we, we've, you know, the economic lies that Democrats have told for years you know, that doesn't disqualify you. But when you don't know how your son died and where your how and where your son died or that's you're a, lying about it or you're blatantly. lying about it, that's a huge problem. Yep. And I every Democrat listening knows that right now. Every single Democrat listening, I don't care how loyal you are, you know that's a scary thing. And the most scary thing is is the fact that he may not actually know how his son died. Right. And this isn't like telling someone else's story where he gets it wrong. No. Right, where he's he's uh, stopping in a, a state or whatever, and he, he talks about a representative. I mean, that's happened. But this is about his son, and he's repeated the same lie twice now that we know of. But even if you're a... And he is a pathological liar. Yep. I mean, he's been lying. His, remember the first time that he ran for president in the late eighties. The reason he was out was because of his lying. Yeah, he had lied so much. Right. You know, they, at that point, you could dis, you could disqualify somebody for lying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it actually meant something. I didn't inhale. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I just I went back to that one when then mm-hmm. when that was people were so paranoid that that was disqualifying. So he had to say, 
I, I tried it, but I did inhale. Yeah. If you like your doctor, and, you can keep your doctor. And, and 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 I and I didn't like it. Well, how do you know if you didn't inhale? Yeah. <laughs> but but <laughs> but those are questions from people who observe closely who mm. aren't high at the moment. Right. Uh, but <laughs> and now pretty much everybody is high. <laughs> well, that's that's been our that's been our analysis lately, isn't hasn't it? It seems like but it is. When you when you uh, the 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 fear. I mean, we know he was elected people knowing he was a pathological liar but this takes it to another extent because now the possibility is he has no idea how his son died he's that delusional how can you be president of the united states there should be a call that he's you know there should be a bigger call even from democrats who want to get rid of him yeah. politically and we got to get somebody else in there it's, it's time that we start talking about the cognitive problems because mm-hmm. that's unbelievable i mean yeah. that when you think about it whatever reason it is that's unbelievable, but there is a great possibility that his family and his aides are hiding from the American public mm-hmm. the fact that Joe Biden has no idea what's going on to the point where he doesn't even know how and where his son died. Yeah. That's a huge problem. Yep. And everybody knows it, but the media is going to be very quiet about right. that. Just ignore it. Just like ignore it. There's nothing going on. Yeah. Because that's like, wow. I mean, that just... Well, because, you know, to me, there are two very big, critical, crucial questions that need to be answered. How bad are his cognitive issues? And is he compromised? Yeah. Well, the, the majority of Americans probably agree with you. On that. Those are two things right now. Those are legitimate questions that everybody knows. Even Hillary mentioned something about his age the other day. Yeah, she did. You know? And I'm like, okay, well, is she going to jump in? Right, there? I know. That's the first thing I thought. <laughs> She's squeezing in going, hey, no, no, you're right. The age thing is an issue. Uh, on the compromise thing? Mm. Now, this... This is why, as we have said before, the media can't hide anything. Yeah. I mean, well, they can they can hide it. They can ignore it. They yeah. can ignore it, mm. but they but it can't be hidden from the American public anymore. Most registered voters think that President Biden and his son Hunter uh, were involved in an illegal influence peddling scheme while he was vice president, according to a Harvard Harris poll, mm. not a conservative pollster. The poll conducted between May 17th and May 18th asked participants uh, let me see, uh, from what you know, do you think Hunter Biden was involved in illegal influence peddling and tax evasion? Or do you think that he was not involved in such crimes? Of the registered uh, voter respondents, 63%, including 83% of Republicans, and 65% of voters uh, outside the two major parties uh, believe Hunter Biden was involved in illegal influence peddling or legal influence. More than four in 10 Democrats believe the same. Well, uh, a majority, 53% of the respondents say that. Now, here's the thing. If 63% are saying that Hunter Biden was involved in illegal influence peddling, well, then that means they believe the father was too. Right. But there's a disconnect because when you ask about Joe Biden, 
It was a majority. 53% of respondents say that President Biden is engaged in uh, uh, an illegal influence peddling scheme with his son when he served as vice president. This includes most Republicans, 59%, independents, 58%, uh, uh, 75% of Democrats think the opposite, even though 40% believe of Democrats believe that Hunter Biden was involved in illegal influence peddling, mm-hmm. but you're, he's only in illegal influence peddling his father. So there yeah. are Democrats that believe that this is the whole thing with Democrats trying to say, you know, they don't even, I swear, they don't even understand. They live in such a bubble. Oh, Hunter was involved in illegal influence peddling, but his father wasn't. <laughs> like, there's, like there's zero connection. Right, you can't separate the two. Right. Uh, 55% of all participants, registered voters, said the FBI is not really fully investigating the Hunter Biden laptop or foreign business dealings, including most Republicans and third-party unaffiliated voters, while 66% of Democrats think the agency is fully investigating the <laughs> laptop. Okay. Well, at least they, the majority of Democrats are acknowledging that, that there is that, that the, the laptop, laptop is legit. <laughs> It's funny how the needle moves. The poll also found that the vast majority of registered voters, 70%, have significant concerns about interference by the FBI and intelligence agencies in future presidential elections. Hmm. A plurality, 37%, are very concerned, 33% somewhat concerned, versus 30% uh, who uh, are not as concerned. Additionally, the survey asked the respondents, does the U.S. government uh, need wide-ranging reform to prevent interference in elections by law enforcement and the intelligence community, or have we already made changes post-2016 to avoid any type of interference? More than 7 in 10 polling participants and the majorities of all political affiliations believe wide-ranging reform is necessary to prevent the intelligence community and law enforcement from engaging in election Interference. Hmm. 76% of Republicans believe substantial uh, reforms are needed. 65% of Democrats and 72% of independents and third party voters. Hmm. Which means, look, the intelligence agencies and the FBI, it's all it's all Democrats that have been interfering. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's all politicians that have been involved in helping the Democrats. So the Democrats know. They may not be willing to answer on some questions, but if you put it in a different way, then they answer exactly. They know. They right. know. They right. may not be willing yeah. to admit, right. but they know. It's like, oh, okay, um, uh, we believe that Hunter Biden is involved in illegal influence peddling, but not his father. Yeah, right. Well, what's Hunter Biden peddling? Yeah, there's no connection. The influence, too. Right. He can only for what if, reason? If you agree that he's getting money to influence, then do you believe that he was involved in it, and that the president wasn't involved in it at all? That he was just saying, "I can get Dad some stuff." Do you not believe Bobulinski? Do you not believe when the when the president says that he knew nothing about his son's business dealings? Uh, do you believe that he, that was an accurate statement? Well, we know it wasn't based on the voicemail and the president's own emails. To his son, he knew about his business activities, so why would he lie about that? Right. 
So they know. Democrats know. Yeah. They, they, you have to nudge them along, but they know. Everybody knows you can't hide it, and that's the problem that the Democrats have. Yep. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Hurley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. A second IRS whistleblower has come forward in the criminal investigation of first son Hunter Biden, merged uh, Monday in documents sent to Congress following the purge of the entire investigatory team looking into President Biden's son for tax fraud and related crimes. The new whistleblower is a special agent in the IRS's International Tax and Financial Crimes Group and worked on the Hunter Biden case since it opened in 2018 until he was ousted without explanation last week. The agent joins his supervisor. Hmm. I'm going to make this comment right now. They know who these people are. Oh, no, they know. They know who the whistleblowers are. They definitely know. The agent joins his supervisor who plans to testify behind closed doors before the House Ways and Means Committee on Friday in publicly registering concerns about how the Justice Department has handled the investigation. Both IRS whistleblowers expressed concerns internally for years about the case being swept under the rug but got nowhere and they lay out extensive claims of retaliation in new disclosures to Congress. Hmm. Hunter allegedly failed to pay his taxes on millions of dollars he received from foreign associates, who in some instances interacted with then-Vice President Joe Biden. Hmm. Hunter wrote in communications retrieved from his abandoned laptop that he had to share half of his income with his father. The IRS supervisor who oversaw the probe, so they know who it is, Yeah. yeah. since January 2020, yeah. and his 12 subordinates were removed from the case, allegedly on Justice Department orders, after he contacted Congress on April 19th to allege preferential treatment and false testimony to Congress by Attorney General Merrick Garland. Wow. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. I'm Gary McNamara. He's Eric Carley. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. You can listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. So I was just uh, scanning through... 
realclearpolitics.com because they've got, you know, all the different editorials out there. Mm. And there's an op-ed piece uh, from uh, AMAC, which is the uh, conservative equivalent of the AARP. Right, yeah. And uh, David Berman is a frequent commentator and lecturer on foreign policy and political affairs, holds a Ph.D. in international relations from the London School of Economics, had an op-ed piece, which is just, I mean, it's, it's stuff we've talked about, but sometimes just the way somebody writes something, you go, oh, oh yeah, wow. Mm. And it's Biden's non-existent 2024 campaign is the headline. Yeah. And since announcing his re-election bid three weeks ago, Joe Biden has virtually disappeared. Where's Joe Biden? The U.S. president has been increasingly invisible over the past month. Aside from an international trip to Ireland, he has participated uh, in talks with congressional leaders over the debt limit and given a few brief public statements, but otherwise has been out of the media spotlight. Now, Also, he did talk a little bit in Japan. As a result, the spotlight has otherwise been dominated by Republicans revealing a serious flaw in the Democratic Party, one which directly threatens its hopes for 2024. The party lacks any effective spokesperson other than Biden. Think about that. Is anybody paying attention to Hakeem Jeffries when he speaks? No. Schumer? Nobody pays attention. No. They're not really talking. Both of them have been, I mean, there's like zero attention given. Yeah. Uh, the party lacks any effective spokesperson other than Biden. And an effort to fill the role is perceived as a direct threat to Vice President Harris. As a result, when Biden cannot speak, no one else can. Mm. The result is that increasingly no one speaks for the administration or for the Democratic Party. Which is... As we have said, that's what's driving the media nuts. They're not getting their talking points. Yeah, exactly. And we we said early on, you know, it did. You know, they were there was it was a little bit of stalling, and then all of a sudden, the frustration just really fell out because the liberal media, and that's what they do with a liberal administration. You go there every day. You get your talking points. Give us something we can sell our viewers and our readers. And they take it, well, and in this case, they don't get it, and they're frustrated. You can't even get that straight, which should be easy. The problems posed both by Biden's age and Harris's awkwardness and unpopularity have been documented extensively, but one of the less analyzed aspects is how they interact with each other. There is, of course, the issue of succession, With Biden pushing 80, there is a real prospect that Harris may be called upon to assume the presidency in an acting or even full capacity, and the prospect weighs on anyone contemplating a second Biden term. A political feature to peace interviewing Democratic insiders on this precise issue this week. It noted how Republicans have already taken to attacking the prospect of a President Harris. It's no secret why Republicans are raising the prospect of a President Harris. The vice president is deeply unpopular, even among Democrats. And the evidence from uh, the task Biden has has assigned her suggests those doubts are shared even by her boss. But there is a deeper and less examined dynamic 
caused by the president's age and vice president's unpopularity. Both have created a climate of political paralysis throughout the Democratic Party. Biden was never a great speaker, a creature of the Senate. He failed three times to connect with voters in Iowa or New Hampshire, where retail politics is king. And his ascension to the presidency is a testament uh, to his mastery of insider politics. He secured the vice presidency because he was the opposite of the young, inexperienced Barack Obama, and he won South Carolina and the Democratic presidential primaries thanks to deals with Jim Clyburn. Even compared to 2020, Biden seems to have slowed down. He struggles to answer questions, recently commenting with regard to the Turkish election that he hopes whoever wins, wins, simultaneously expressing indifference to the result while impugning the legitimacy of whoever emerges. His efforts have been consumed with debt ceiling talks where he's veered between negotiations and asserting that he can use the 14th Amendment to avoid the need for an agreement altogether. While Biden is no help to his party, Harris is seen, if anything, as a greater liability and is hardly in demand as a campaign surrogate as her presence causes additional problems. Her very political weakness, which prevents her from being an asset, also makes her position insecure enough that any other effective surrogate becomes a threat to her ambitions. In another world, various Democrats' rising stars, such as Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer or Colorado Governor Jared Polis, would be fundraising and holding campaigns for local Democrats. It would uh, be a show of loyalty to the party and its current leadership that would earn them credit in the future. The problem is that with Harris's status as the future of the party open to serious doubt, what would otherwise be a show of loyalty would instead become off as a disloyal activity. Mm. Just interesting. But and well, they just they just go through the whole thing. And then, and you think about it with Biden, you know, even uh, the whole thing from Japan saying the whole thing about uh, uh Bo Biden dying in Iraq again. Right. You look at it and you go, My God. Mm. And and we played the audio yesterday from Japan. Yeah. Nobody could figure out what the hell he was talking about. He was making no sense at all. Well, and we've talked about from the beginning Look, how does he go on long trips? It requires uh, a, a, you know, the jet lag is unbelievable for any president on a trip like that. But in something like G7, look, you're on the world stage. He's got to go. There's no way he can't go. He can't stay in the basement. But you send him, and this is what you get. This is what happens. And then he talks about what we've we've talked about, about Hakeem Jeffries, whatever, says until January 2023, Democrats had an additional surrogate in the form of Nancy Pelosi. Pelosi was like Harris, far from a popular figure, uh, but she differed from the vice president and that she could and uh, uh, that she could better be described as polarizing while she was not well-liked by a large majority of voters. She was at least popular with Democrats and, more importantly, donors, unlike Harris, who does not see uh, to be popular with anyone. But the other thing is the media. If she spoke, it became high-profile if Pelosi spoke. Yeah, right. It doesn't with Harris, and he goes, and, and it, uh, it doesn't with, as he's right here, Hakeem Jeffries, her successor lacks any significant national profile. His status as a New York congressman limits his national appeal. 
and his African-American background makes him a potential rival to the vice president's control of that base. That's what happens when you practice identity politics. When you live by identity politics, you die no, by identity politics. that's a very politics. interesting point. Yeah. It may be for that reason that he was entirely sidelined since Kevin McCarthy's successful election as Speaker. His absence from the debt ceiling debate is striking. And that result, then you go into talk about Buttigieg and other, <laughs> and, and just Blinken and everybody else. It's like, you know, <laughs> no one has any impact. The net result is all quiet on the Democratic uh, front. Biden having announced uh, for re-election, no other Democrat can make a move. Biden being unable to campaign or take the lead and the vice president unwilling to do so or to allow anyone to do so, the consequence is that no real campaign is taking place. Right. See, at this point in 95, 2003, and 2011, Clinton, Bush, and Obama campaigns had fully formed or were even beginning to launch plans to use the primaries as dry runs for their general election machine. Mm. By contrast, the Biden campaign does not even know what the Democratic primary order will be. Yeah, I mean, and you've got New Hampshire saying, all right, you want to move things? We'll move it to make sure we're first. You talk about a mess. Yeah. You know, we've always, uh, since really the beginning, since January of 21, we've talked about the liability of, you know, uh, the, the what happens if Joe Biden can't, you know, serve out his entire presidency? Uh, what happens, you know, if he, if, if, if he has to leave and and then she leaves and, you know, the implosion of the party? No, the question is, what about the chaos if he stays? I, I it, it may be so bad now that the DNC is looking at it going, no, look, it will be an improvement if he has to step down. Yeah. And then you see the second whistleblower coming forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, the polling that was done by Harvard Harris. Yeah. That America knows. America believes that he was involved, the majority of Americans, in illegal influence peddling. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. They can't hide it. And it's only going to get worse. And then you see the second whistleblower by the way we were talking about the second whistleblower coming forward from the irs uh new york post uh, uh covered it and said but in new documents sent to congress the special agent said that investigators were cut out of the prosecutor's call after a contentious meeting in october of last year where irs and fbi concerns about inaction in the case emerged allegedly angered an unnamed u.s attorney in a charge meeting on October twenty or excuse me, October seventh, twenty twenty two, U.S. Attorney for the District of Redacted became aware that the by the way there is no state of Redacted, just people. It's uh, not the, an actual right, place. Became aware that both the IRS and the FBI had longstanding concerns about the handling of the case. After Redacted continued to communicate concerns to the Redacted uh, USAO and the prosecutorial team, call on October seventeenth. He and his IRS team, the actual investigators, were no longer invited to any further prosecutorial team calls and meetings on the case, effectively excluding them from the case, one document said. The second whistleblower, 
who worked on the probe since 2018, wrote in an email Thursday to seven senior IRS officials, including the commissioner, that he believes he was removed for doing the right thing, including raising internal alarms about the Justice Department acting inappropriately. As I'm sure you were aware, I was removed this week from a highly sensitive case after nearly five years of work. I was not afforded the opportunity of a phone call directly from my uh, from my special agent in charge or the assistant special agent in charge, even though this had been my investigation since the start, the new whistleblower wrote. Hmm. There is a human impact to the decisions being made that no one in government seems to care about or understand said the 13-year veteran of the agency. Uh, I have spent thousands of hours on the case, working to complete 95% of the investigation, have sacrificed sleep, vacations, gray hairs. My husband and I, identifying me as the case agent, were publicly outed and ridiculed on social media due to our sexual orientation and to ultimately be removed for Always trying to do the right thing is unacceptable, in my opinion, he wrote. So what he's saying is, I'm gay. Mm. Mm. It's unclear if the IRS agent's sexual orientation was criticized by supporters of Hunter Biden or by detractors who mistakenly assumed the detail meant that he wouldn't conduct a serious investigation of a Democrat. Ooh. He's an IRS agent who's gay, so he has to be Democrat. So he has to be compromised if he's a gay FBI agent. Wow. Wow. That a gay FBI agent can't truly be an FBI agent because a gay FBI agent must also must, be a liberal. Must be a liberal political activist in that role. Whoa. I didn't see that one. <laughs> I did not see that one at all. But but you see all of this now, and it's drip, drip, drip. You see that on um, you know the Durham report. Wow, it's having yeah. no effect. It's having an effect. We actually, look at, and, and we, yeah. we brought you all the polls of what America believes is going on. Right, it's all having an effect, and it's drip, 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 drip each and every day. Yep. Yeah, it and is. so that's the problem. The Biden he can't talk about it. He's hiding all the time, and as you campaign, you have to answer more questions. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the Bi- I think the, the Bo Biden thing again, saying that again, yeah, is uh, I really think that's going to come up. That's got Democrats thinking, going, my God, we're still a year and five months out. How can this guy do it? He doesn't even know. The public believes he doesn't even know how his own son died. No, I mean, that's it. Because that's not one of those, again, bizarre lies, you know. Well, I started at 15 with my grandpa herding sheep. No, this is about the death of his son, which was very public. By the way, he was vice president at the time. Everyone knows the very obvious truth. Anyone who was around now uh, as an adult remembers it. By the way, the second whistleblower now, the uh, the IRS assistant special agent in charge of the D.C. field office is saying he's committing a crime by coming forward. This is a mess. This is a mess for the IRS and the administration right now. Yeah. This is a whole hell of a mess. And now you've got both of them testifying on Friday Mm. before the House Ways and Means Committee. Mm. Wow. 
866-90-RED-EYE. Most owner-operators leased to larger carriers are paid on a per-mile basis or a percentage of revenue per load. The per-mile basis is most prevalent among larger fleets. Percentage at smaller. Pay per mile tends to dominate discussions about pay just because it's easier to measure. And pay per mile often is wrongly used as the deciding factor in leasing to a carrier. While pay per mile can be a vital factor, it's not a cure for every ill. Nor does it mean a big settlement check is coming an owner-operator's way. Why? Because pay per mile always must be considered in balance with gross revenue as well as total costs. Gross revenue can include flat mileage pay, mileage pay that varies by length of haul, percentage revenue pay, and more. Most importantly, though, for every revenue dollar generated, only part of that dollar is profit. But for every extra dollar of cost saved, the entire dollar contributes to profit. Knowing and understanding your cost to operate is fundamental to understanding the true value of any pay package. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara. So it's going to be fascinating in the next six months to see what happens just campaign-wise. And nothing, you know, from the, the Democrats. I don't know how Biden campaigns when he can't campaign. You know, he can't really get out a sentence. And, you know, you have to, you know, when you campaign, you're talking and you're answering questions. Yep. And they can't allow him to do that. I mean, right. it, it it gets worse. And, uh when you know we played the audio cut when he was talking about the things that he was doing and how he balanced the budget and yeah i mean it just he was and then he would stop and pause and go to something else and the the topics weren't even connected well and he was just stumbling and then coming out and stating in japan also that his son uh, uh bo died in iraq i mean it's just a mess right now for democrats you know glenn kessler at the washington post the fact checker you know uh, it came out months ago and said, all right, fine. Bottomless Pinocchios for Biden. Yeah, never. You just give up. It's, right. you know, at a certain point, you just get out of the way. All the lies that are just flying and the missteps and whatever's going on with his mind. Wow. Emotional Basket Cases, Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. 
Yeah. All right. Wasn't that a Green Day song, Basket Case? Yeah. yeah. I think so. I love the oldies. <laughs> <laughs> you think about it. Ah. When did... Uh, it's like 94, 95. Yeah. When Green yeah. Day first came out, almost... 30 years. 30 years ago. <laughs> That's the equivalent. Think about this. Elvis broke, what, 55, 56? Yeah. And died in 77. Right. They've been around for 30 years. Yeah. That'd be like talking about Elvis in, in, in the 80s. 85, in 85, yeah. Yeah. Or wow. thinking, or thinking about his, uh, thinking his, about it this way: you know, in nineteen, any music that was popular in nineteen fifty, by the time you got to nineteen eighty, and right, yeah, you're getting that you were into in the eighty, eighty was really, I mean, the transition of seventy eight, seventy nine, eighty was punk into new wave at that time. When you right. think about it, right, and rock was kind of forming, uh, you know, out of the uh, there was this new what they call the new wave of British metal that was kind of you know, making its way until, and then ACDC kicked the doors open in the, you know, beginning of the 80s after Bon Scott died with Brian Johnson and then all the, then, then, then boom, Quiet Riot, Bon Jovi, hair bands, hair bands, hair bands, Nirvana. Oh, by the way. (laughs) Guns N' Roses, uh, Nirvana. Foo Fighters got a new drummer. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, they, they did uh, videos yesterday on it. And they were funny videos. Yeah. And what's his name? Is it? I forgot. I forgot which one. There, there's the brothers, uh, Josh Freeze, mm. Jason Freeze. Mm. Uh, I forgot which one's the drummer and which one plays keyboards for the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> They're brothers, but yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it's. I think it would be. I believe it's Josh who's the drummer. The drummer, yeah. I and think he so. he's I think played right. with everybody. Played, yeah. played with Guns and Roses. Played with yeah. Yeah, uh, Blink One Eighty Two. I mean, right. so he's done every form of uh, drumming. Seemed to fit. So he's too. he's the he's that's yeah. I I him. wouldn't have picked it out, you know, but he does fit. You know that wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thought of that. But he he would definitely be a fit. I think with the band. It's funny because you just. It's funny how time changes things because yeah. Uh, when uh, when Taylor died, you're just like, how does a band go on without him? Because he was such a huge presence. Well, there was a there was a kinship that was built yeah. over such a long period of time, and and Taylor, you know, was a young guy. He still looked young in his later years, but I mean, he was a young guy, and they were together forever. And and so, I mean, he went. That was it. I mean, for him. It was Foo Fighters, and it was a it was a career, and they were, you know, as a band. You know, every once in a while, they'd take a break, and the whole world would freak out. It's like, you know, we're okay. We're gonna take a break for a while, then they'd come back, do an album, whatever. Mm-hmm. But when that, you know, when he died, it was like, oh man. And so they actually, you know, they were all just hanging around and people are coming through the door, you know, yeah. like famous drummers, whatever. Oh, yeah, hey, I, yeah. uh, here's yeah. your dog, whatever. And all of a sudden he comes through. <laughs> oh, no, he doesn't come through the door. He's sitting at the drums going, come on, are we going to play or what? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they, so right. they did it in a very humorous way. Yeah, good, good. You know, like like good, they, they do their goofy videos. Yeah, good. But uh, I'm I'm happy because the, the, the Foo Fighters changed over the last decade. They weren't just the, you know, they're... Um, 
Oh, I forgot the record producer that it was telling. Remember when they did the acoustic album? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And yeah. Uh, or they the was MTV. Did they do MTV Live or they just did the acoustic? They did the acoustic uh, yeah, I don't tour. Think were, yeah, right. And yeah. and it was, oh, like Clive Davis, the former right, uh, right. famous record yeah. producer. Right. Because he was like, uh, I like doing it all. And he sits and goes, no, you need to do it all together. Combine everything together. Yeah, right. And so now you can hear. I mean, yeah. uh, Waiting on a War, which I think was a great song from their last album, just the way that it builds up. In fact, I saw yes- yesterday or the day before on YouTube this cla- this classical pianist yeah. you know, actually listen to that song and go, whoa, whoa. whoa. You know, it's it changes, interesting. It changes. And there's strings on it. There's everything. Yeah. Yet it's at the end of it, it's as punk as you can get, but it combines all forms of music. And songs like uh, I saw the live version. It was Radio X on, on YouTube. And it was the song "Shame, Shame." That's not even a punk song. It's I mean, yeah, they're they're right. they're he, Grohl's delving into stuff he never did before, and I like that. I don't like no, a band no, remaining the same. Yeah, I love yeah. it when a band, uh, uh you know, uh, uh, evolves. And so, but I thought maybe that was all ended. Uh, Rosemary that they did on their album uh, about uh, about twelve, thirteen years ago. Mm-hmm. I love that. When I heard that, I went. They're making a change. He's changing. He's he's starting to experiment and do different stuff. Well, and, and it's it, because it's reminiscent of we talked about this, you know, a number of times that when we were growing up, there really wasn't that genre separation when you were listening to a, a top 40 station. No, there wasn't. Yeah. You know, you had uh, I, I think it was noticeable like when, I don't know, Alabama or Kenny Rogers or country would cross over onto top 40 but it wasn't out of the norm um and you could hear the ojs you could hear you know rock and it's interesting that you say that of of all you know do everything approach i was re-watching some of the jimmy page they call them jimmy page outtakes from uh it's gonna get loud it might get loud and that whole it was just basically the parts that were focused on him and his career and he said you know, the critics didn't know what to do with Zeppelin. And every album was different. <laughs> and they were it, they were so experimental. And when he, you know, he was a session player. Uh, he played on the song Goldfinger for uh, the Bond movie, mm-hmm. the James Bond movie. Um, you know, he played on a number of uh, albums, uh, you know, with other artists. Uh, at some point, he went to college, then came out of college, and he was getting a lot of work. And then next thing you know, boom, they formed Zeppelin. And then they're on TV. They show this old clip. Uh, actually, I don't think this was on TV, but somebody filmed it, and they were in this gym. This was 1969, and it was as hard as you can get. And I was thinking, because I'm looking at the faces of the people in the crowd. And they weren't, you know, like freaking out or anything, but you could tell they're trying to compartmentalize it, you know, <laughs> understand somehow it. <laughs> understand it. And the critics didn't, you know, and a lot of us guitar players kind of did that with both uh, Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck. We didn't know because we, you know, it's it's a simple minded, you know, approach of, uh, you know, garage band guitar players. You really can't understand it. You should just observe it and enjoy it. Don't try and duplicate it because that's not going to happen. And and back then, the critics really didn't know where Zeppelin was going. I mean, the, the old story, I don't know if it's how tr- true it is, but uh, Bonham, John Bonham and Keith Moon, uh, drummer for The Who, 
were sitting around and they were talking about John Bonham's new project and who was going to be in the band. And Keith Moon joked, well, that's going to go over like a Led Zeppelin. And that's where they got their name. I don't know how much truth there mm-hmm. is to that, but that story has been told over the years. And, you know, there, there was just no way to categorize it. Uh, there was no way to uh, that- compartmentalize it. And, you know, because there's some people say, well, they're the uh, forefathers of heavy metal. I don't agree with that. Um, I'd say Sabbath. Uh, but because I don't think you can just put Led Zeppelin in any one category. They were kind of a category of their own. Well, I like it when they, when Poison was heavy metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the hair. Well, oh, man. No, but you make it. But, we battled but against I mean, that so bad. But when when Grohl, when Grohl said that about Clive Davis saying, no, do everything, do everything together. Yeah. And that's when you see the expanded band. They've yeah. got keyboard player. They've got yeah. the violinist. Yeah. You know, they'll, they, and then now that they got backup singers in the, right. in the back. Right. And I started thinking about this, you know, it, uh, that, uh, you, and, and this is part of the documentary, a number of documentaries on Skinner originally. Yeah. Yeah. And you just, people just thought, okay, there's just a, and then you think about it, the, you know, cause Ronnie Van Zandt introduced the background singers early on. Yeah. They came yeah. in, and when you start listening to that parts, and you realize how deep that music is, because mm. Southern Rock sort of got, ah, just Southern Rock. You know, right, the, dismissed. And, yeah. of, and, yeah. and it was, you know, really, when you think about so much of it, and I've gone back and listened to a lot of the non-popular stuff of Skinnerd that I call Florida Swamp music yeah. with incredible vocals right. and background vocals and just intricate guitar work yeah. that isn't the, you know, three-guitar army free bird and you realize you know how how deep that they went but that's back then when we used to listen to albums but i like the, any band that goes in a different direction a lot of people don't like i love that but that comes as you were started with our background of growing up in top 40 radio where we listen to everything where you well, would have that's it and i, I mean we, i i remember the first first song i ever heard on the well when i got not first song i ever heard first song that i got that i heard on my transistor radio was the cow sills yeah. If I, if I, the first, I bought it at brand names, my transistor radio, put the nine volt battery in, turned it on, and it was the rain, the park, and other things. You know, yeah. the flower girl is the song right. is known. Yeah. I see that on YouTube, the one that they did a couple of years ago where they did it live in a right. memorial. And I'm like, God, I love that tune. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, right. wow, with, yeah. with the stuff that I listen to, the, the cow sills, I go, that's really great. Or, when I hear the monkeys do Daydream, uh, Daydream Believer, which is a Neil Diamond tune. Right. You know, and yeah. I learned to love pop. I really, when I was younger, my dad only had classical music. Then pop came along, and I loved that. And then everything just kept with Top 40 Radio as I got to be a teenager. And Motown. Yeah. I love right. Motown. I mean, yeah. all that. Right. But my favorite is still prog rock, which is more technically classical music. Sure. I love everything, yeah, right? Yeah, but but and I, right. now as I'm older, now that I'm facing my 50th high school reunion this year, <laughs> I go back and this happened yeah. probably about five six years ago. I would listen to tunes that I haven't listened to in 40 years, right? And go and and immediately be transformed back. It might not be that I lo- absolutely love the song, but it brings you back to it a connects, moment of your youth. Yeah, it connects to a time which, in your which, life, yeah. which is really cool because that wasn't happening to me until a few years back well you and know, so i can hear brandy you're a fine girl yeah. by looking glass and go oh I yeah remember what i was doing at that yeah. time <laughs> based on a bartender named 
Her name was Randy, but they thought that would sound weird if they were singing about Randy. Yeah, so, so they changed it to Randy. But that's one thing. I, I love the time in my life when I grew up where you didn't, where it wasn't, I only listen to country or, you know, I only listen to punk. And I remember the punk revolution. Anything else is compromising. Yeah. Or yeah. I remember even when, um, I keep wanting to say Danny Joe Brown. It's not, the, that's, the, that's the singer from Molly Hatchet. I can't, from uh, Green Day. Yeah. Uh, 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 Billy, Billy Joe, Billy Joe, Billy, Billy Joe. Yeah. And when, when, uh, when he said that when they became popular, you know, then the, uh, the punks lost us because that was copper. I'm like, shut up. I mean, yeah. not to him, but to right. anybody, you know, let people do what they want to do. I mean, I yeah. love experience. I hate how music became so segmented where it was like, this is the only thing that I listened to, and I listened to nothing else. Well, that, you know, that was, and for me, you know, uh, a lot of the 70s stuff, like Zeppelin escaped me because I couldn't compartmentalize it in a pop world as a kid. Now, I was, you know, I was born in 66, so I was very young at that age. My oldest brother, huge Zeppelin fan, and it wasn't until it was later than I realized, because here's the question, it doesn't matter what it is, Zeppelin or Lady Gaga, it doesn't matter. People will say, well, I don't like this, I don't like that. And then I had a musician friend of mine who's a professional musician and a session player, and he said, can you play that song? That's the question he'll ask the people that have that, well, if they're a musician, well, can you play that song? Because when you break it down and then try to learn how to play that song, you appreciate the work that goes into creating that song of any genre. Zeppelin was a band that I first heard. I didn't understand it. I can't actually tell you why I like them, but I always like them. And it wasn't. It no, wasn't, there was definitely it, it, an appeal. It, it I just didn't know right. how to where it, to it, where to put them. Right. It wasn't peer pressure though, because I'm peer pressure never. Because everybody yeah. went crazy over the Beatles when I was in elementary school, yeah. and I went. To me, they sounded simple because my dad always played was classical music. Mm-hmm. So I want to hold your hand. I went. So when I hear today, still people go, "The Beatles were the biggest." Inf-. I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah. And I understand now. I like the later Beatles. Right. You know, Hey Jude and stuff like that. But the early stuff, I went, eh, it's even too simple pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, so uh, Foo Fighters found a drummer. Mm. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. Red Eye Radio, he's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up following uh, the top of the hour, there's a headline, Majority of United States Faces Elevated Risk of Summer Power Blackouts. Why? The green energy push. The insanity continues in the United States because we as Americans, um, and I don't include myself, or Eric in the we, or... (laughs) I mean, we uh, are Americans. Or or, 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 or our (laughs) listeners... But we voted for this. Mm-hmm. We voted for energy, economic, and national security suicide. And it's exactly where we're going. Yep. We'll explain why coming up.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. You know, we were just uh, talking about the, uh, the band, the Foo Fighters, and Taylor Hawkins, who died over a year ago. Uh, they finally replaced him as a drummer with, it's Josh Freeze. Jason mm. is the one that plays with the with uh, keyboards for the Goo Goo Dolls, mm. um, and and I I just started thinking one of the best things I've ever done is pay whatever it costs to not have the commercials on YouTube mm-hmm. because there's just so much so much on there. I mean, just for everything from politics, where I can go through all different websites and see what's going. You know, you can go right to all the different hearings. You don't have to wait for C-SPAN. You can sit there and pick and choose at your point, you know, at, at your convenience when all the things happen in Congress. And then, you know, watch parts of the, you know, the, the different committees of Congress interview witnesses. And it's great for that. The other thing is it's great for <laughs> music videos and, and, uh, and, and documentaries and a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you were the one that, that uh, told me about uh, Hired Gun. That yeah. one documentary about uh, the musicians that do so much, mm-hmm. and uh, in Hired Guns, they had was it uh, Steve Lukather from um, Toto, mm-hmm. who's like played with everybody. I mean, just uh, as, yeah, the guitar on Beat It. Uh, the, the only gu- thing that right. was Eddie Van Halen on that song was the solo, right? And and that so many members of Toto were the backing band for Michael Jackson on Thriller. Yeah, and it was like what? That's Michael Jackson and Toto. Nobody really knew that. Yeah, uh, he and, wrote uh, for. Uh, gosh, uh, George Benson, a lot of, I mean, I don't know how many artists that Steve Lukather wrote. Ghostbusters. And, and produced, yeah. Ghostbusters. Yeah. Uh, Ray Parker Ray, Jr. Ray Parker yeah. Jr. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, and it was, it was funny because they taught the, the guy, I can't think of the drummer, the one who came up with the, uh, uh, for Jack and Diane. Uh, Kenny Aronoff. Yes. Who came up with that little drum, you know, come up with a, five second drum solo whatever yeah. it was he's like what and he had to do it he had to come up with yeah. it and and the pressure that they're under and then because of that i actually watched the documentary on the wrecking crew yeah and right. tommy tedesco from the same town that i started in talk radio niagara falls new york mm. and how they believe he is the most recorded person ever yeah, because when he was with yeah. the wrecking crew, and this goes about the '50s, '60s, even into the '70s, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That they were all together. Right. The thousands of songs that he was on, and the fact that, and I was amazed by it, a little bit disappointed that so many of the groups that you were listening to in the '60s and the '70s actually was the wrecking crew. The recording you're listening to the singer who may be in the band, and the wrecking crew, mm-hmm. this group of session musicians. Were the yeah. ones, and Glenn Campbell was a part of the the, the Wrecking Crew. Yep, yep, yep. And the fact of they would actually fi- find a singer, you know, the the singer, and yeah, and and they would do an album, and they do an album, they would do an album in a day because mm-hmm. we'd be we'd be doing albums, we'd be doing thirty albums in six weeks. 
Yeah. No, back then it was, that's how you did it. You cranked them out because a a, a label or a producer would say, listen, get in there and make the hits. You go in there and, you know, you might say it's formula, uh, but they knew how to make, you know, money selling a ton of records. And they would actually produce an album and have a singer and they would basically have a band that would come one of the pop bands. I can't think of one right now. Who was the one that the one that they had talked about that they did that came in? It was like okay, we we did the music, uh, we did the vocals and everything else, and then they created a band to fit what the Wrecking Crew had done, and yeah. then that band had to learn and go out on the road and play what the Wrecking Crew had actually recorded. But the recording you heard was never the band, right? And and so right. people were criticizing the Monkeys, and they even talked about this. People were criticizing the Monkeys, but the and the Wrecking Crew did a ton of that stuff. Yeah, it said but. All the other bands were doing the same thing. We were doing the albums. And well, you're like, there's, wow. There's even that kind of kept going to some extent uh, with a number of artists, including Ozzy Osbourne. There are these musicians from other bands that basically he kind of poached. And then other musicians that played on the albums. Uh, Bob Daisley, uh, who was a bass player, and then... Rudy Sarzo would be on mm-hmm. the, you know, on, on base on tour. And then the same thing with Quiet Riot, you know, the whole thing. They they would have all these, and it's like, okay, the video on MTV that everybody saw had this guy, but that's not who was on, you know, the the album. I mean, it was it was a much bigger thing with the wrecking crew, but you know, you you think about putting those albums together at the um I, I had a conversation, just happened to have this opportunity because my my computer crashed, Butch Vig. Uh, and he produced the uh, Nevermind album. It was, in the, for, was it in the band Garbage? In, in the band yeah. Garbage. And that's why they were actually at the radio station I was working at, this rock station in, here in Texas. And uh, so I took Butch down the hall to my studio to do Hey, you know, the little, uh, we call them IDs and, and, and liners. You know, you're listening to, uh, the station was called The Edge. Uh, this is Butch Vig, you're listening to The Edge. Well, my computer crashed. And it was a program that he was using and very familiar with. So we sat there <laughs> while we were trying to get it up and running. He goes, you know, the problem is, he said, it's the hardware. I said, yeah, I know. You have it on the wrong hardware. The software, uh, which was called Sadie, you have it on the wrong hardware. I said, yeah, I know. We've been complaining about it. And it crashes a lot. And he said, yeah. Uh, but we sat and talked about it. And then he started talking about the Nevermind album. And, and you know, using that particular um, uh, software. Uh, but then he was, if I had recorded this 30, 40 minutes that we were sitting there trying to get everything to work while the rest of the band was on the air uh, doing an interview, it would have made a killer doc, a short documentary, but it would have been killer. And then I saw him talking to somebody on a podcast recently, basically the same thing. And it was, you know, this approach by uh, these visionaries of these producers, you know, like like Butch Vig or Mutt Lang or, you know, all these people, uh, you know, or, or producers of any the, genre. The guy that did Metallica with the long hair. Oh, yeah. Who, um, who claims he's not a producer. He just yeah. sits back, lays back, and right. listens. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know. Uh, Bob Rock. Right. Yeah, Bob Rock. Bob and Rock. then, you know, uh, like Mutt Lang, 
said to Brian Johnson because they were putting the Back in Black album together. And they stopped a couple of songs in, and, and Mutt Lang says, can you sing in a high voice? Brian Johnson's like, well, yeah, I guess I could. We'll give it a go. And the rest is history. And that's when uh, he replaced the... That was after John and, uh, and uh, Scott. Mont Scott uh, right, but, uh, but, they, but they also replaced... Uh, that was uh, uh, George... Uh, Young was the producer of their albums. Yes, the older brother, the older uh, brother, Malcolm was, and uh, and Angus, who is considered the per, who was in the uh, what uh, Sunday on my mind. He did that. He was oh, with the Easy Beats. He was with the Easy Beats, yeah, and then he was yeah. with uh, uh, he was with um, oh, what was the name of the band? Flash in the Pan, who did the song Saint Peter mm-hmm. back in the in, in the, yeah. Uh, he was basically in like a pop punk band, right? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah. uh, George Young, they, who they credit for being the sound of ACDC, that he yeah. actually created that sound. Right. Uh, but then, uh, yeah. But it's just a, it's just amazing, though. Uh, and so when we were talking about it, I just want to relate back to the, well, the Wrecking Crew because it's a, it's a documentary worth watching. Yeah. Because you sit there and you see these. They all sit around and talk years later about right. their experience. And, the oh, the woman who they consider the... One of the best bass players ever in the history of bass. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't think I'm of her name. Oh, I just, but I, she was I'm on blanking. so many songs. Yeah, she was, same thing. And all yeah. they did was, it's all they, they went in and they just did album after album after album after album. And they said, they they were doing so well. They said, well, all we want to do, you need to pay a scale. Mm-hmm. And they all became rich. Yeah, doing right. this. They all became very yeah, became well a, off. A, a very good, very time well gig. off. And, and they never yeah. really... You know, they, they could perform out in public, and some of them had side groups and everything else. Right. But they were basically the session musicians. Right. And it's great listening, you know, to the late Glenn Campbell talk about being part of the Wrecking Crew. Yeah. And you're just like, wow, I didn't know that as a kid, and I probably wouldn't have cared as a kid. All I right. cared about was, did it sound good? Right. <laughs> and it's but. still, you know, the session people are still being hired, you know, the hired guns thing. And then they go on tour. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know... uh I uh, talked with uh, Anton Fig, who was the drummer for Letterman, and a separate interview with Will Lee, the bass player for Letterman, uh, on two different occasions. They basically both lined out their day for me back when Letterman was on CBS and how they, in the morning, they were session musicians at an ad agency. And then they went over, did the rehearsal, and then recorded the show, and that was their day. Every day. And then the Wrecking Crew, part of the Partridge family, doing the Partridge yeah. family yep. stuff, too, which yeah. was like, and how they did it. Right. You know, and they and they said, you know, they were really impressed with David Cassidy. Mm-hmm. You know, when he came in, it's like, oh, he knew what he was, you know. And when they heard him, he go, okay, he's got to sing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and how they right. were trying to make it sound like, you know, the kids and everything else in there. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and how they just, you know, boom, 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 produced it. And so you sit there and you say, you know, the Partridge family, bubblegum rock. But it's good. Well, I mean, it's good. I mean, these are the most talented well, musicians in the world that actually did people that. People responded to it, you oh, know, yeah. and, and that's the thing is that I look at all the different genres that are out there and there are names that will come up in the news and I'm like, I don't know if I've ever heard their song. And then I'll do just a little bit of research, go listen to it. And I'm like, all right, there you have it. I mean, it's the making yeah. of a, a hit. And I don't know what qualifies as a hit or how much radio play you get or you know, streaming, I mean, look, you know, there are a number of artists right now that are killing it, streaming. Now, 
you don't get the same kind of money. You pretty much have to be <laughs> getting a, a a billion streams if it's not downloads, but streams in order to make, you know, a dollar. Um, but but still, the, the making of that music, you know, it's like my friend said, you know, it may sound simple to you, but can you play it? You know, if, yeah. Even if you're a musician, and one of the songs he said to me, he said, go back and learn Papa Was a Rolling Stone by The Temptations. It starts with a what sounds like a very simple bass line, but you've got to get it right. Because or, it is the song at the beginning for a couple of minutes. Or anybody who ever played with Steely Dan yeah. in their sessions saying, oh, my God. Oh, that's, dude, a, that's a whole other. You know, yeah, Je- listen yeah, listen yeah. to Jeff with Skunk. So many, so many things going on. Listen yeah. to Jeff Skunk Baxter talk about that. But, yeah. it, but he was extremely. I still love his story, though, with the Doobie Brothers and yeah. Steely Dan. And mm-hmm. he is one of the world's leading knowledgeable people on missile technology mm-hmm. and he's worked for the u.s government yeah <laughs> i mean with him with that great big mustache well, i just can't imagine him with all these generals going no no you guys got it wrong and he did it the the the, the stuff for the 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 missiles and mm-hmm. the guidance system everything else was based on the stuff that he did in studios yeah now see unlike biden all he has to do is tell the truth and it's still a <laughs> really great story. It is. <laughs> That's true. But when I heard it first time, I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, no, no. This guy knows rocket and missile How technology. How has no one made that movie yet? Just on him. Yeah, you're I right. I mean, you, you would include the band, of course, right. in it. But it would be because that <laughs> is a great story. He's playing with the Doobie Brothers and the next thing. He's with all these generals talking yeah. missile technology. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it reminds me of, a, it could be like the, a beautiful mind. <laughs> Something like well, that. I can imagine Except him true. meeting a very young Senator Joe Biden and Joe, hey, <laughs> might know me. I was, a, I was in the temptations. <laughs> no, you weren't, Joe. Coming up, the majority of the United States faces elevated risk of summer power blackouts. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's what we as a country want. It's a choice. It's a choice. Coming up, 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Yeah, the bass player featured on the documentary, The Wrecking Crew, Carol Kay is yeah. her name. Yeah. 88 years old, 65 years, still active, playing bass on recordings. I think she's going to do the Anthrax show. That <laughs> did. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, she was on the Anthrax episode but Married with Children, I believe. Seriously? You know what? I wonder how many genres she's on that people wouldn't. Yeah, place her in she, right? over ten thousand records recordings. Yeah. Yeah. You know she has done in the studio. Yeah, and eighty eight still doing it. Probably not as active. I'm sure she's not spending eighteen hours in the studio anymore. But I just yeah. wanted to yeah. mention her name because she's yeah. just well, amazing. But here we go. Mm. America's increased reliance on green energy in favor of coal and gas 
has hit a majority of the United States now facing an elevated risk of summer power blackouts, according to the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. Last week, they published their 2023 Summer Reliability Assessment, which found that two-thirds of North America could face power shortages this summer during periods of extreme heat. That vulnerability, the watchdog group said, stems from America's increase in green power generation and decrease in fossil fuel power plants. While coal and natural gas plants can be turned on and off at the flip of a switch, green alternatives such as wind and solar rely on favorable wind conditions, or excuse me, weather conditions, to operate at full capacity. If those conditions aren't met, power demand can uh, outpace supply. The system is closer to the edge, said the North American Electric Reliability Corporation uh, Director John Moore last week. More needs to be done. Moore is far from the only expert sounding the alarm on America's unreliable power grid. Both state and federal officials in recent weeks have warned that high summer temperatures combined with low nightly winds could bring power blackouts across the country. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid to say it, but I think the United States is heading towards a catastrophic situation Federal Energy Regulatory Commission member Mark Christie said during a May Senate hearing. Despite those warnings, President Joe Biden has moved forward with more plans to accelerate U.S. replacements of coal and natural gas. Yeah. Yep. As, as we told you, the insanity has gotten to the point in Texas. Texas, I believe, is still the number one wind power state. Mm-hmm because of really central Texas and the hills, and we're extremely windy here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, West Texas, out yep. of the panhandle. Wow. Yeah. And and so we lead the nation in wind power. Mm-hmm. And Republicans have jumped aboard with the Democrats in the past until February of 21 when Frizola happened. Yep. And as we stated, the problem is coal and natural gas plants are not going to... Uh, invest in those power plants when the federal government is telling them we're going to put you out of business there is no long-term capital investment you can't have it there's no reason to so the the republicans in the state of texas because they have no other choice because the federal government programs they can't stop the federal government from subsidizing wind and solar Mm -hmm. and so the state of texas decided okay what we're going to do is we're going to created a, a, a bunch of natural gas plants uh, that will only be operating 10% of the time. So the taxpayer is going to have to subsidize it, and you're going to see an increase in your electric bill also because of it. So we have to subsidize all forms of energy because the primary source of energy is unreliable and has to be subsidized in order to be competitive. And then the power that does not have to be subsidized we're going to subsidize anyway because it only runs 10% of the time mm-hmm. in order to back up the unreliable form of energy feeding the grid. It's a stupid dog chasing its own tail. It's insanity.
You're listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. And he's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara, uh, 86690-RED-EYE. We've been saying this since we've been working together, uh, and probably a lot longer than before we were working together, that you cannot run the United States grid on wind and solar. And that's exactly what the North American Electric Reliability Corporation is saying. We can't do, it's impossible to do, what the Democrats wish to do in this country. Mm-hmm. You are cre- you are uh, creating energy, economic, and national security suicide. That's what we're involved in. That's what the people of the United States have voted for. Uh, and it's very simple. Wind and solar can do it, and wind and solar can do it. And with... Now, the Democrats wanting all-electric vehicles, the demand is going to skyrocket. And just two weeks ago, the Biden administration put in even tougher standards, which in all uh, likelihood will eliminate coal and natural gas in 2030. Mm Mm-hmm. And and, and the, this it, is and what my question is, why do Democrats wish to do? If you're a Democrat, why are you supporting a political party that wishes to commit economic, energy, and national security suicide? This is just like everything else that the Democrat and we bring this up on a consistent basis. And I'm shocked that the Republicans don't pound on this every day, just like they do critical race theory, or the liberal transgender activist movement. Yep, but it's, you know, trendy. Uh, Well, no, no, we care more about the planet. We care so much that we're willing to destroy an entire economy. We're willing to put lives in danger. See, that's how much we care. And that's exactly where they get the leverage. There's nobody... That is jumping out ahead of this in a big way. Our audience notwithstanding, people just say, oh, well, yeah, okay. Wind and solar, okay. Yeah, well, electricity's going up. Those darn electricity companies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all greed, right? It's big oil. <laughs> no, this is wind. And, you know, it's, well, it's just trying to get rich. And you you just give and give and give. Ultimately, the plan is what they would like to do, and they've said it out loud over the years a number of times, is nationalize energy. They want to nationalize health care. This is what they want. But you have to break the old system to get there. And it will be just like healthcare. You're putting lives in danger, just like we saw during the freeze apocalypse. In fact, that was just a sample of it. And when you have days, and, you know, we had uh, after that, we had uh, officials here in our state of Texas say, okay, everybody, this afternoon, you need to lower your usage because 
There's not going to be any wind in West Texas, and it's going to be a bit cloudy. So the solar and the wind farms are not going to be able to produce. So please make sure you conserve because we could have blackouts and brownouts. And, oh, it's going to be hot. Yeah, it's summer in Texas. Of course it is. And then as as we saw, for example, in the state of Texas, uh, as we just had told you before the bottom of the hour, where the Republicans said, well, we as a state, the federal government doesn't care. The federal government, led by Democrats and led by the left, don't care if we commit energy, economic, and national security suicide. And apparently half of America doesn't care at least either or maybe more because they're not screaming bloody murder and the Republicans bring it up but they should be screaming from the rooftops what is happening here in this country. So the Republicans in the state of Texas said, well, we can't do this. We're, we can't have another. Well, we, we've got to have backup power. So the plan is to have uh, a number, what do they say, 10 or more of natural gas power plants Mm -hmm. that are hooked up to the grid, but they only run 10% of the time when they're needed. Right. So there's a tremendous cost involved in that. And then just a couple of days after that came out, the Biden administration with new regulations that in all likelihood will shut down all coal and, and natural gas and make it too cost prohibitive to maybe build those natural gas plants that are going to be subsidized anyway. Mm -hmm. They're going to be subsidized by the taxpayer and your electricity prices are going to go up. So we're subsidizing all power when none of it needs to be subsidized. Yep. So the cost is going to skyrocket through the roof. And at the same time, we may not have the backup power because it may be too cost prohibitive that the consumer won't pay for it, but will scream bloody murder when there's blackouts and brownouts on a consistent basis in our grid. Well, and that's it's it. insanity what we're doing in this country, and it is the number one issue being promoted by Democrats because it's all about climate change. Mm-hmm. Oh no, they're uh, they're getting away with agenda is happening and the states know well we have to have a backup we've got to build a backup we can't do without a backup if you're a sitting governor and you have brownouts and blackouts on a regular basis that is political and hurt in a big way and then you know what's going to happen politically the democrats will play on the ignorance of the american public yeah because the cost of electricity will be going up. Well, that's state regulated, and mm-hmm. the state, you know, the state uh, did that. The, yeah. the the state did that because the state's building all these backup power plants, so the state's increasing it. Yeah, your your power costs, and and therefore elected Democrat. You should let the the uh, and we'll build yeah. more wind and solar. Yeah, and you should let the federal government do more yes. because the state is making it more expensive. Exactly. I mean, it's just, it's pure insanity. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. This is crazy stuff here. I mean, it's not, and anyone with any basic electricity understanding or electrical engineering 
understands its insanity. Well, I don't have to tell you. We can go, you know, uh, uh, you know, right there to the um, uh, to the uh, the the experts hmm. uh, who said the uh, the the same thing. Um, these moves could put a strain on the nation's power grids. Uh, by by creating all these electric vehicles as Americans plug in their cars instead of filling up them up with gasoline grids across the country. We'll need to put out more power to keep up, and we're actually creating less power. The system is closer to the edge, said the Director of Reli- Reliability and Assessment Performance, uh, John uh, Mora. I'm afraid to say it, but I think the United States is heading towards a catastrophic situation, said Federal Energy Regulatory Commission member, Mark Christie during a May Senate hearing. We all know where this is leading, and yeah. nobody is stopping it. Nope. Nope. And that's why I said earlier, since Trump is leading, would you please shut up about anybody on The View who used to work for you? We don't care. Talk about the issues that matter. And the number one issue, in my opinion is electricity, is energy, is being able to run. You know, that's the insanity of it. The Democrats, ah, we're going to build a great manufacturing base and we're going to have all this, you know, the chip makers and this and that, mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. that requires a tremendous amount of electricity as they're cutting back on the amount of electricity and the reliability of electricity available on the grid. Well, you have the problem and the solution right there in the same bowl. Because the natural gas and oil industry if you're expanding it then you can get i mean the the wealth creation we've seen it over and over and over again and you can point to that if you focus on it they want to kill traditional forms of energy and usher in a system that is reliant on inconsistent forms of energy All the while, they're pushing you, mandating, forcing you into EVs. (laughs) Well, it's a good thing everybody likes working from home. That's where you'll be. You won't have any air conditioning or a computer on. But you'll be there. Imagine that. Every, everybody will be hooked up to the smart grid so that you can be shut down when necessary. Yeah, exactly. No, and, I mean, and by the way, no, that's, that's exactly and that's what that's what that, that's what that's about. That's that's bit because and it's like, well, you can get an, an incentive. We'll we'll give you a discount for signing up. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, mail the other day. Not a chance. Nope. Not a chance. Get off my lawn and stay the hell away from my thermostat. I'm not even that old yet, but and this is this is the problem where this is where we are as a nation. It's right here in front of us. You'll see it play out this summer. It's already played out all over this country, and it has been for years. And yet, nothing is different. How many elections have we had since then? Why aren't Republicans screaming about this every day? 
if critical race and critical race theory, the social issues are important, the yep. culture issues are important. Yep. Without question. This is the most important. Yep. Because it's about our energy, economic, and national sec- security yep. of the United States. Yep. And we seem to go, oh, whatever. It's a very we, simple we equation. Can, we, we can be delusional and the lights just keep coming on. Mm-hmm. They just keep coming on. There's no problem whatsoever. We go through our day. And that's where, that's where we are. I mean... Nothing's going to change. It hasn't. Newsom won't be the governor in 2035 in California when that mandate is, is, is about to hit. He's going to be long gone. He'll be either retired or doing something else, maybe in the White House. But he's not going to be in California to face the consequences. Because here's here's the thing. California is in this kind of in in this kind of uh, absurd policy making. They are the trend maker. But here's a clue: you can't put solar farms just anywhere. Even if you had enough land, you've got to put them in the areas where the sun shines, because you can't make air, you can't make that kind of energy where the sun don't shine (laughs) same with wind farms even if you had the land you've got to put them where it's windy that's why they liked west texas it's like it's exactly why they like oklahoma but then we can start talking about how much land there really is and how much would be needed and then how much you need to mine for EVs and EV batteries and all of this. It is impossible, but yet the laws are in place. 86690-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. Trotty Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. And you think about it, I mean, for for it's got to be really 15 years that California has been having problems. Yeah. Uh, during the summertime with uh, with energy, so this is something that's not new. You know, Texas back in February of 2021 with the Frizola brought it back into the public's attention, and then uh, even last year with uh, you know California. What was it? The the day after uh, Newsom said they're going to be all electric vehicles just a couple of days after, then please don't charge your electric vehicles. The public knows about this. Right. The public understands that it's crazy. Why haven't the Republicans responded likewise and made this a louder issue? Right. For the life of me, I don't understand I, why. I don't get it.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Yeah, I just think about how long we've been talking about just electricity and energy. I mean, for decades we've been both talking about it, even when we didn't work together. And it just seems like they're they're this this should be the I think the number one topic for Republicans right now, where we're going with energy. Now it may be after this summer, it's only going to get worse. Now with the weather patterns, it's supposed to be cooler or warmer this summer. With uh with El Nino yeah. instead of La Nina. Uh, well, they're saying it's going to be, you know, this is going to be a super El Nino. I don't even know what super El Nino means. La Nina stuck around for three years, which is highly unusual. Usually it's six months, maybe a year. But uh, they, here's the problem, is that it's kind of a, a trade-off depending on which. So with La Nina, it's hotter in certain parts. A summer will be hotter in certain parts of the country. And then, you know, other parts will be cooler. And then the opposite is true with El Nino. So uh, I saw a map the other day. Look, they couldn't tell us, <laughs> you know, if we were going to get rain in two hours. And yet they want to tell us that the world is going to end because of global warming and, and that this summer is going to be bad here or there. But typically... It's wetter in the southern tier and a little bit cooler. And then maybe in the northwest, it's hotter than normal, maybe drier in the northeast. These are all the ideas. Honestly, I don't think they know. Um, because they say they, someone made the, uh, I watched one presentation the other day that said, we'll see, it's going to be much hotter with, a uh, much hotter summer with El Nino. And then in that same piece, they talked about record-breaking heat during La Nina. And I'm like, I don't even know that they, they realize what they just, you know, put in their own presentation. Mm-hmm. So, but, it, but the media is making a big deal out of it. Oh, no, El Nino. Everyone batting down the hatches. We're going to have to work from home during El Nino. <laughs> well, I wish there was that kind of concern about the energy supply in this country. And it's, you know, we and the, here's the thing. We're actually paying. Think about this as a society. How and that's why th- there is no other word to use except insane. Mm-hmm. We are paying higher energy costs to have less reliable and consistent energy. Yeah. Your higher costs are not because uh, of any natural disaster, no. any supply, supply problems with energy that's available out there. Right, the right. Natural supply energy. issues. Right. right. Yeah. The, or, the organic supply of energy, you're, you're, you are paying higher 
energy costs in order to create a system that will ensure you have less energy available. Yeah. Pure insanity. Yep. Pure insanity. And you're still going to be at much greater risk for brownouts and blackouts. Oh, yeah. And and the, and the And you're investing the money to make the situation worse than it is right now. It's worse than it was five years ago. It's going to be worse in five years than it is now. Mm-hmm. And you're paying the higher cost to have a system which is less efficient and productive and can affect seriously your quality of life, and in some cases, your life. Yeah. Yeah. And people seem to be okay with it. They'll scream and they'll scream and yell when their electricity prices go up, but there seems to be no uh, connecting the dots as to why and what the end result is going to be. Right. No, I mean, it's... and and. Look, uh, this this idea of, uh, you know, outlawing everything, that, of course, is going to keep all the investment at bay on the traditional forms of energy. Everything is going to be wind and solar. Regulations are changing, keeping natural gas and oil companies out of the game more and more. And that's the idea, is that you break them. Because if they've got nowhere to invest, then they, you know, ultimately they go to other nations. Well, you see, Europe is saying, we need to take a break from this. We've done enough. Yeah, we need to pause. We need to, we need, we need right, to pause right. and go back to coal and go back to natural gas yeah. because this isn't working. Eventually, just like everything else, you know, you think about it. The liberal transgender activist movement, nobody cared until it entered their territory. Right. The warning signs were there. Right. You know, conservative talk radio, we were telling you what was going to happen from the liberal uh, the liberal activist uh, uh, tr- transgender movement. We've been telling you this for, you know, 15 years where it's going to lead. We were the ones, probably one of the first ones to tell you and, and give a warning out to liberal feminists, this is going to destroy feminism. And we were we were right across. And it was obvious what was going on. It was obvious what was going to happen. But until the public actually feels it, there seems to be no passion or forward thinking saying, well, we can't go down this road. Same with critical race theory. The identity politics is basically what critical race theory is. Yeah. The identity politics of the Democrats have been practicing, which showed their racism towards blacks who happen to hold conservative viewpoints in the late 80s, early 90s. We saw this. This is over 30 years old. We saw it coming. We warned that it was coming. The public, well, we don't care, until it's actually in our schools and affects our children. I and mean, this, and the same thing same thing here with energy. Exactly. It's like nobody, well, it's, it's abstract, and when it's no longer abstract, then people go crazy. Well, what the hell's been going on? Well, you've been electing these people. When will people finally wake up and say, i got to stop being stupid and ignorant, and I need to start paying attention to simple things like where is the government going and what do they want to do in the next 10 years? On energy. On everything. On, on energy, it is going to be far too late very soon. Yeah. And 
here's what happened with the, you know, uh, Obama talked about it under my plan of cap and trade. Electricity rates will necessarily skyrocket. Forget what I say about coal, whether it's good or bad. We will regulate them. They will have to retrofit their operation. That will cost them, and they will pass that cost along to the consumer. That That is almost verbatim what he said. And they there was a case, I believe it was in Michigan, that went to the Supreme Court. And uh, they the the coal industry got a win and they asked somebody from the obama administration at the time well you consider this a big deal is is this you know is this a loss no because throughout all of this they still had to comply until the court decision which meant they spent a ton of money converting they're not going to spend money to go back Especially knowing what the where the federal government is still heading on. Yep, this. and and that's and and that's it about mm-hmm. investment because you start building out when you build out, then you know the 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 infrastructure and the delivery of the the energy when it's there, and and redesign the grid. Then eventually you get to a point if they have their way of locking out traditional forms of energy because you would have to come in and rebuild it all over again and that kind of investment is insane. Nobody would make it. You know, I I was uh, talking to some young people in their twenties this week, a couple of them, and and uh, uh, I don't know what their politics is, but somehow and and never got into really doing what I do what I do for a living, but we just. I started throwing some topics at them and one of them was energy, you know, whether they believe that we could run the, the uh, world on solar and wind. And they went, well, no, in fact, they knew they, uh, and uh, uh, these were young people that if you, if you were stereotyping them with, you know, if you were going to stereotype and, you know, with tattoos and, and, uh, and rings in the nose and mm-hmm. everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of lot of metal on the face. Yeah, you would think, oh, they don't have a clue what's going on. Mm. Completely knew what was going on and was against it. But well, you know, they'll change it eventually. It was almost, but they knew. Mm-hmm. They knew exactly what was going on. Yeah, and the public knows exactly what's going on. And you know, is it is it that the do we live in a society which is just so afraid and cowardly to speak up? Have the left won, you know, uh, on the intimidation tactics that you see on the, you know, the liberal activist, insane transgender activist movement and critical race theory, where people can actually promote racism, bigotry, and misogyny? And the public is afraid of that? Well, if they're afraid to respond to that, are they afraid to respond on where we're going with electricity and energy and all this? I would have to say they must be. Yeah. It's not cool to say, listen, we need to go back to natural gas and oil. We need to give up this idea that, and and again, like we've said, if industry wants to come in, and invest and in new forms of energy, let them make that investment. If without mandates, 
And if the EV market once is going to grow, let them do that organically. Of course, we've already, the horse has already left on that one as well. And those are the things that, you know, you, you're not going to hear out of young people. They're not going to say things like that. Because then we talk about wealth creation. Oh, wealth creation. You mean the rich getting richer? I mean, everybody getting richer, including you. You don't even have to work in the industry. You work in the service industry in any of these producing states, and you see it boom, and that is part of a wealth expansion that we're known for. And for the first time in history, instead of doing something more efficient that benefits a society, which is why they had to create the lie, the world is going to end if we don't do this, we're doing something that is that is far less efficient and that will deplete the wealth in our society and eventually put lives at risk. And wealth creation is also uh, a factor caused by uh, by lower prices. Mm-hmm. If prices are lower, prices for gasoline were half what they were right now. And electricity could continue to stay low. Yeah, That's money in your pocket. That's wealth creation. Right. You know, it's like when, when uh, they, they did the study on Walmart – you know, being created and coming into a city and, you know, lowering the prices to the point of over a few years, they found out that people, average family was saving $2,000 a year. That's wealth creation. That's because that's wealth. You don't have to give up. You don't have to barter that wealth for something else. Right. You get to keep that wealth. Right. So, you know, it it's, I don't know. I mean, we it's almost as if the public knows what's going on but enjoys being BSed. Yeah, no, you just I, 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 I and in the abstract they love being BSed or they are curious about the BS but they they don't get angry yep. about it. It's Joey Pants in the Matrix. I know I'm not eating steak, but man is it delicious. <laughs> Eight six six ninety red eye. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at JJ Keller. And I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. Drivers should be familiar with how their actions affect their motor carrier's compliance, safety, accountability, or CSA score, in the seven basic categories. The driver fitness score is based on the physical and medical qualifications of drivers. The vehicle maintenance category requires drivers to know how to inspect CMVs and secure cargo. Hours of service compliance relies on drivers keeping accurate records of duty and abiding by hours of service limits. The unsafe driving category is affected by unsafe driving behaviors such as failing to wear a seatbelt or obey traffic laws. Drivers should understand the drug and alcohol prohibitions to prevent hurting their carrier's controlled substances and alcohol basic score. And drivers who transport hazmat must know how to safely transport hazardous materials according to the regulations. The final basic category, crash prevention, is based on how many crashes a motor carrier has been involved in, so drivers must know how to drive safely to avoid crashes. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio.
It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. He is uh, Eric Harley. What were you talking before when you just said to me, you're going to have to get an Uber? Were you looking at car loan prices? No, what I was uh, I was looking, looking at at loan rates because I was I was reading yeah. about the uh, St. Louis Fed chairman who said, uh, not chairman, uh, uh, president, who said that he believes they need to go two more rate uh, rate hikes by the end of the year, and he says sooner than later. He didn't say how much, but he believes the Fed needs to go at least two more. The target rate right now is five to five and a quarter. And so I don't know if they're they're going to do that. Most believe they'll do at least one more. And then I thought, okay. Uh, then Jamie Dimon did an interview, and he was talking about uh, right now they're they're watching commercial loans because these buildings, office buildings, where people don't want to go back to work, there's a lot of vacancies there. We talked about the Bay Area. In fact, they mentioned that in the story. And Jamie Dimon's looking at that, saying that. On that front, with commercial loans, they're kind of tightening up. The lending is tightening up because the best way to preserve capital if you're a bank is to not make more of those loans. So you have the loans slowing down on mortgages and auto loans and everything else. And and, and then the, on the commercial loan, you have the, the lending tightening up. And so none of that is good. And then I thought, my gosh, auto loans – What's the prime rate right now? And it depends on, of course, your credit. Uh, it could start four or five, but it then if you've got a very low credit rating, as high as 17, over 17% for an auto loan. Because one of the things, too, is the, uh, the delinquency rates in auto loans is growing. And the severe delinquencies, 60 days, which is, I guess, about the time they would start doing a repo uh, is is rising as well. There's more people in that group. Well, you know, if, you know, because I said, well, my gosh, if somebody's got that low of a credit rating, you're going to have to Uber. I mean, paying 17.4% for an auto loan. I didn't even do the math on, on a wow. $15,000, $20,000 vehicle, yeah. you know, anything worth buying. You know, even on well, something that's well, a ten thousand dollar loan. Which, uh, when you said Uber, reminded me of an Uber story from yesterday that we have to get to. Mm. Uh, but when I would love to see the numbers for lending for commercial real estate, for take for example the Austin area, mm-hmm. Dallas Fort Worth, yeah, and which com- is booming, yeah. and and compare that to a San Francisco and New York. In fact, I, I haven't looked. i got to see if the new state GDP numbers have come out because mm-hmm. normally it's a couple of quarters behind. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to look at some of the state GDP numbers. And then uh, uh, we have the the Uber story coming up, which is just yeah. when you get involved in identity politics, it's just absolutely insane. And I wonder why Uber, a company that's hasn't made a profit yet, right? Uh, not much of one, if any. Yeah. Why are they even involved in the stuff that they're involved in? We'll get to this coming up.
Consider yourself canceled if you don't listen nightly. Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Hurley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. <laughs> What's my name again? <laughs> yeah, I'm me. He's him. Okay, I'm, I'm looking here. Just doing this, and we were just talking about economic growth and and uh, just you know commercial loans and and just wondering what the difference would be since that's a a, a worry right now because of of interest rates and I just went ah we haven't looked at the state GDP for a mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. and we hear the GDP of the United States but what you normally don't hear is okay but are there are there big differences in the actual states in GDP growth. The latest that uh, we have that was released by the Bureau of Economic Analysis uh, was released on March 31st was from Q3 of last year to Q4, okay, with the increase, because that's what you go. You go from, you know, you you do GDP by the quarter. Hmm. The next release for state GDP, and I think we were at 1.1% growth rate for the nation in the first quarter, right? Right. But but the but the numbers for the individual states have not come out yet. They will not be released until June thirtieth. So that's another month from now. So that all we have is uh, is the fourth quarter of last year. All right. And are you ready? All right. You had. Uh, I'm looking at some of the states with negative growth rates. Iowa minus one point two. Uh, Nebraska, minus 3.4. South Dakota, minus 4.3. That seems to be the only states that were in the negative. New York, 0% growth rate in the fourth quarter of last year. Ohio, 0.4%. Illinois, 0.7%. Michigan, 0.3%. Wisconsin, 1.1%. Washington State, 3.5%. Oregon, 56 Nevada 5.3, Utah 4.2, Wyoming 4.5, California 2.4, Florida 3.7, Alabama 3.9, West Virginia 5.2, Tennessee 4.3, Pennsylvania 3.2, Texas 7. Mm. By far the greatest economic growth for a state, from the latest information we have, is the state of Texas at seven. Mm-hmm. So, um, try to see if there's anything else there. But just interesting to look at the actual numbers, and you can find it, by the way, in Google. It's uh, pretty yeah. easy to find yeah. as you go through. But I just I find it interesting to uh, to look at uh, to actually look at that. You know, to look and say, okay, what's the GDP? Uh, in these, uh, you know, in individual states. And then, you know, you compare it. So I would be, uh, I'm really interested to see. I'm going to start paying attention now. So I get, when, when June 30th hits, we have the release uh, of it. And they fluctuate, but, you know, but, uh, you know, you look at where the economic growth is and where it's uh, growing quite well. And, of course, Texas is, that's that's why companies are moving here. And I you know, you and I asked this question with capital moving here and companies moving their headquarters here, 
does that significantly affect economic growth since economic growth is not judged necessarily how we would want to judge economic growth, which is actual goods and services produced, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the flow of money. Yeah, the uh, the investment ahead of demand. The investment ahead of demand, exactly. Or, you know, if you bring in, if you bring in, uh, a company that is that was in California mm-hmm. and does two million two billion dollars in business, and all of a sudden that appears in in Texas. You know, the first quarter that that's analyzed, whatever they have, is credited to Texas instead of California, right? Right. Yeah. I just like to see figures on that. Just you know, and and I know you'd have to really delve into the numbers, and it probably would be hard to get. But what is the economic impact? In in the in the GDP uh, rate, for example, the state of Texas, when you have so many, you think about it. If you take small uh, you uh, manufacturers, you have dozens and dozens, possibly hundreds of companies over the last five years that have moved from California to Texas. How does that? And I know the majority is still oil and natural gas that really can affect if if things go down and the country isn't using it. Texas's you know GDP can go down, mm-hmm. but there's more diversification in Texas all the time, and I think it would be interesting just to see with companies and people moving, because too when people move, yeah, and 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 people bring their wealth and start spending their money here instead of, for example, what did they say that uh, New York City lost what was it five hundred thousand, five hundred thousand. People, uh, I forget what the it was. Five hundred thousand over a period of like of uh, of of uh, COVID, not just in one year, but the period right, right. Of, of time of of COVID. And California lost hundreds of thousands of people too. Right. If they move to Texas and Florida, they're taking their wealth with them. They're taking their spending habits with them, and that money flow, which would count for the GDP of California, is leaving California and coming to Texas. I would love to see somebody crunch those numbers. It might be difficult to do so, but it would be interesting if somebody could at least estimate who would I trust on that, though. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a perpetual effect if you look at the uh, the movement of people uh, and companies, whichever comes first, chicken or the egg. Uh, but they certainly is – that starts the process of the talent being available for those companies that want to relocate – for other purposes like cheaper rent or acquiring their own real estate, much cheaper, lower taxes, incentives by uh, either the state, the county, or certain cities, um, one of the neighboring cities that that, uh, that uh, the suburbs that is right here, a stone's throw from where we sit right now, has been very active, Irving, Texas, very active in over the years, of attracting a lot of uh, companies. And then, you know, just north of here, uh, major corporations. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have a, a street named Headquarters Boulevard, you know, up here in uh, in uh, uh, North North Dallas heading toward Frisco. Uh, Toyota bringing their campus years ago, several years ago, uh, to North Texas. But the idea is that you're going to have to have the talent. And you want to, you know, and as that talent pool comes here, you know, with the movement of other companies, 
then it starts that flow. The companies that haven't moved here yet said, okay, now we can go in and compete for the talent that's already there, that went there for other jobs. We can go there and be competitive. Austin right now is insane with the growth. I mean, Texas is in general, and North Texas is, but Austin is is really it it there has been almost like a rediscovery of of maybe a new generation of you know not so conservative people that look at it and go all right uh after covid i learned a lot about how where i lived you know california or somewhere else was going to govern me in an emergency i don't want that but i also want uh, you know, more plentiful jobs. I want, you know, I still want the, I don't know, hip and cool place to live. I want, I want there to be some of that there. I don't want to go somewhere just for a job. I want there to be something else beyond that. And of course, Austin's kind of been offering that to liberals for a long time. Uh, it is the liberal hub of our state. Happens you can to be the capital. You can pretend you're a liberal there, exactly, and yeah. take advantage of all the great conservative yes, exactly. policies right. uh, that the state affords you. And and that is, you know, I, you see, I, when I saw this comedian who had lived uh, in, you know, they they live all over New York, L.A., but I think they last lived in L.A. and and they said, look, this person who I believe is otherwise a liberal. I've never heard this person, this comedian, espouse conservative views. You know, I mean, most of them are liberal. But he said, look, I may not carry a gun all the time, but I want to live in a place that affords me the right to protect myself. After COVID, after things went crazy with the riots a couple of summers ago, I feel like, at least I have that choice. At least I have that freedom to do that. So it was about economic opportunity and it was about, you know, freedom, about uh, Second Amendment rights. And and those are the things, you know, that's not going to be the, the brunt of it. For companies, obviously, that's not going to be a big deal. But for people that rediscover that, that ask themselves, okay, you know, in, in, in previous generations – you know, our parents, you didn't just pick up and go. Unless you joined the military, you pretty much stayed in that town for life. And now we're more mobile than ever. And that affords uh, the ability, not that it's affordable, but I mean, you have greater opportunity. It is easier and more accessible to most people now, the idea of getting up and moving it's not easy but you can do it a lot easier than in the past and the idea of that is and i think the states that do it well uh texas florida and other states uh that want to promote that kind of growth and opportunity for individuals they're the ones that are going to thrive i don't know what happens to blue states you know i did see uh a uh it was on uh, YouTube, and it was from a – I think it was from a San Francisco TV station where they monitored and had talked to five or nine people a year ago that were moving to Texas. Yeah. And then checked in with them a year later to see how they were – Yeah. And yeah. it was a very, very fair – it was a very fair mm-hmm. report. I mean, extremely fair. Yeah. yeah. You know, in talking to them. And, 
you know, there was, you know, some of the, you know, young families that said, this is just wonderful. You know, they'd, right. they'd move more to like nor- the North Dallas area, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they just love, they mm-hmm. loved it. The kids had assimilated and everything else. And they were able to buy so much more. And there were, you know, they talked to people about what do you miss about California? Well, I miss the beach. I miss this. I miss that. Yeah. I yeah. Miss- sure. Everything that you would expect. But what you realized is almost every decision, every single one of them came down to what? Money. Money. Yeah money yeah because they said well you know i live in texas it's not exactly california i mean there's nice beautiful places in texas but it's different than california oh yeah geographically it's it's completely different and if you move you know for example from um uh (laughs) you know on uh malibu Mm -hmm. to amarillo Uh there's going to be a culture shock for you and a and a a huge culture shock yep uh, both culturally and actually visually, <laughs> yeah. you know what you, what you what you will see. But every there were a couple that said, "Well, if I can go back, because I'm thinking about what I've learned here in my business, maybe I can go back to California." And you see it, but the vast majority were staying, yeah, and had no yeah. intention after a year of going back. And what was it? Money. Money right. means what? Quality of life. Right. Money means what? Opportunity. Le- uh, opportun- opportunity. Less stress. Right. And if you have kids, more opportunity for your kids. Now, a few of them did say, it's too hot. (laughs) You know, uh, growing up in Texas, look, we were living in a small town. And my wife and I knew years ago we were going to have to go where there was greater opportunity. And, you know, I'm thankful that we didn't have to move far just a couple hours away from uh, our parents. But it was still we knew we had to do it. If we want opportunity for ourselves and for our children, then we're going to have to get up and go. And now people are moving from all over the country, and North Texas isn't slowing down. It's really interesting that uh, my search for greater opportunity ended up working with you. Yeah, how's that working for you? So far, so good. (laughs) 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carly and I'm Gary McNamara coming up on the top of uh, the uh, the hour when DEI goes too far mm. to yeah. talk about the trial and tribulations of Karens. All right. That story from Uber. Yeah. I'm reading that yesterday and I couldn't stop laughing. I'm like, <laughs> oh, there's a twist to DEI now in companies oh okay Mm -hmm. oh nobody likes that one do they no well if we're going to talk about diversity Mm -hmm. and and equity and inclusion don't Mm -hmm. we actually have to have inclusion and talk about the problems of everyone including the karens right well how do you not have a you know like a senior karen on you know like a a position in the company senior vice president of karen's because if you're going to take that on, how do you not have that position in your company? But, but going through some of this story, we'll do it probably at the top of the hour, is just mm. hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's just <laughs> funny stuff.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? (laughs) You pay me more. Jeff Smith teaches on the sliding scale. (laughs) Those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.